Genesis chapter 17. We're going to continue what we started last week. I'll try to get you out of here by noon, but if I don't, I'm sorry. No, I'm not sorry. If you've got to leave, you can leave anytime you want to, but I'm going to complete what God spoke to me. Is that all right with you this morning? Because I know just as much as this all was a word from the Lord, that prophetic word was a word from the Lord, and this activity was a word for the Lord from the Lord, I'm just as sure the things that I'm going to share with you this morning is a word from the Lord, and it's just as important, if not more important. Amen. I'm telling you, God's wanting to do a work here. If you turn to Genesis 17, I'll just remind you of some of the things we talked about last week. We spoke about uh, great expectations and the plans that God has for us and wanting to do some things in our lives personally and corporately a work that he desires to do in our church, a work that he desires to do. And we compared that into the life of Abraham being promised at the age of 75 that God was going to give him a land, that God was going to make him a father of nations, and that God was going to do all these things through him. And and just talking about how important it is for us to grasp the fact that, that God wants to do the miraculous in our midst. God wants to do the miraculous. Now, we're not going to exalt the miraculous. We're going to exalt Christ, and the miraculous will come. We discussed that last week. And I believe it's going to happen. I believe that the miraculous is going to come out of this prayer time that we just had. I felt that faith in my spirit. I'm confident. And I believe it. We also talked about the fact that there was a blood covenant established between God and Abraham that involved the blood of animals and that we have a greater, we have a greater sacrifice that all the promises, even, even the promise that was made, that covenant was made between God and Abraham, was pointing to Christ. And Christ is the fulfillment of that sacrifice. He is the purpose of, of everything that we do. He is the fulfillment of every promise of God in our lives. If we will receive Him, if we will exalt Him as an individual and as a church, those promises will come to pass. Can I get an amen? Amen. amen. This morning we're going to continue on that path. That's where Abraham was at. Uh, But now God wants to take him a little further. If you look in Genesis chapter 17, verse 1. And when Abram was 90 years old, in 9 or 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said unto him, I am the Almighty God. Walk before me and be thou perfect. Boy, if that's not a command. To, To walk before a God that few people can even get off their face in front of. We talked a couple weeks ago about Ezekiel laying on his face before God and he said, get up. And the Spirit had to enter into him and pick him up and put him on his feet because he couldn't even do it. He said, walk before me and be thou perfect. Tell me, is the perfection part easy? (laughs) No. And if you live in my home, you would know that it's not easy for me. Okay? You're riding a vehicle with me. You know it's not easy for me. It doesn't happen. But, but the perfection thing, verse 2, And I will make my covenant between me and thee, and will multiply thee exceedingly. Father God, minister to us through this word. God, I speak through me, your humble servant, your words, not mine. Your will be done, not mine. And God, that you would minister to each of us in this room by your spirit, not by me. By your spirit, do your work, Lord. And I'm going to be faithful to, that you're going to do that. Amen. As we look here, Abram had 24 years, had passed in just a couple of chapters. 24 years. 75 years old, now he's looking at 99. He'd been promised, 24 years passed, he has nothing. And in the middle of that 24 years, obviously 13 years prior to this scripture, we see where Abraham took things into his own power, was impatient with God, and said, you know, 
I don't have a son. I'm getting old. How many of us have ever felt like we're getting old? (laughs) I felt like that when I started exercising after the first of the year. My legs hurt. My back hurt. Alyssa's jumping around. I'm thinking I'm going to kill her. If I had the energy to do it, I'd slap her around, but I didn't. We know how that story goes where Sarah says, Sarai at the time says, you know, take my, my handmaid, take, take uh, Hagar, and she can birth children for me. And we know that that didn't work out. You know, we're not going to go into all that this week in depth, but we know that 13 years prior to this time period, Ishmael was born. And Abram took the pathway of his ancient ancestor, Adam. Instead of hearing the promise of God, instead of obeying it and speaking it to his wife in love and leading his family, he chose to allow himself to be influenced by his surroundings to do what was right. You know, it was impossible. I can't have a child at this age and, you know, my wife's barren. She's not had a baby at this point. She's not going to have a baby, you know, at this age now. It's just not going to happen. So he allowed himself to be influenced by her rather than influenced in believing the word of God. Have we ever been there before? When the doctor says there's no way. You know, when people look at the situation and say, yeah, but okay, but you should. You know what I'm saying? I spoke briefly last week with the fact that that we will not, at First Assembly of God in 2011, try to manufacture some kind of move of God. We're not going to do it. Refuse to do it. That's what Abram tried to do. He tried to manufacture the fulfillment of the promises that God had given him. And he, he looked at his desire for a son to be greater than to obey and serve and have faith in God. He thought, this has to happen, so I'm going to help God out. You ever tried to help God out before? That's how people always are with like young couples. Oh, I'm going to fix you up. He's so gorgeous, you know, trying to fix everybody up. And uh, April and I are not very successful at that, by the way. We just quit years ago. It didn't work out. Think of Joseph. You know, anytime there's a promise made to an individual, there's always influence. There's always external influence. With his situation, you know, he tells his brothers, he said, I had a dream and we, my sheep was there and then all your sheaves bowed down to mine and they got mad at him. And then he told his parents, he said, all the stars and the sky and, and the moon and the sun bowed to me in obeisance. And his parents got mad and said, you think we're going to bow to you? Joseph never forced the issue. He just trusted God and he followed. And it took him to a place where outsiders would say, what happened to you, O man of God? You know what I'm saying? And all of a sudden, he's able to sit in a situation when his brothers are coming in, you know, and his dad, and he says, look, you know, what you meant for harm, God used for good. And he placed him in that position. Listen, God will bring about in your life, in my life, the promises that he's placed in him because he knows and loves us and has a desire to do so. Amen? We just can't serve the world's view of what God wants to do in our lives and our view in God's view. You just can't do it. Scripture says no man can serve two masters, right? Jesus said that. You're going to serve one and hate the other. You can't serve God and mammon, according to King James, or money. You can't do that. But yet, in the church world today, we manufacture these different moves of God, quote-unquote, and, and try to tell people what it's supposed to look like, and we force the issue, and then all of a sudden we're in a place where we don't know what's happening and what's going on. We've created an Ishmael. 
where people are hurt. People are wounded. People lose faith. People look at us and say, see, I told you it was wrong. I told you you shouldn't have done that. The world, I will not let the world come in in 2011 to our church and tell us to compromise the standards. If God's got big promises for us, He does not want us to do the other things. He wants us to walk before Him and be perfect. Don't sound so excited about it. (laughs) Deafening silence. Be perfect! Don't be pointing fingers at Jeannie, Jim. Don't do that. It's your first day back. Be perfect, Pastor Bob. Be holy. Be holy. We are not going to allow sin to run rampant through our church in 2011. Why? Because God has made big promises for us. God has spoken to you individually, He's spoken to me individually, and He's spoken to this body corporately that's too big and too beautiful for us to put our hand into it and to push something that's going to do nothing but bring trouble. Amen? You want big promises in 2011? You want to see God to do something in 2011? You want God to move in your life in 2011? Then walk before Him and be perfect. We'll get there. I remember when I was 13 years old, I was at teen camp. Anybody been to teen camp? Get an amen. Amen. Love it. I was at teen camp and I was in the old metal building, the old metal tabernacle. Anybody remember that? And I'm just going to say this before I go any further. Everybody always talks about, oh, we had wonderful services in that old metal tabernacle. Those windows, it was so hot in there and those bugs just flying around and biting me. And we laid on that cement floor and it was just, oh, Jesus just moved. Listen, I've been to both, Okay. I was in the old metal tabernacle sweating and wishing the person next to me had put on deodorant. You know what I'm saying? I've been in there and since the presence of God. I've also been to many, many, many more services in the new air-conditioned, carpeted tabernacle at camp. And let me just tell you, the presence of God is in both of them. And it's not a bad thing. But I remember being 13 years old and I was about three quarters away on the back. Uh, and and I, earlier in the week, I'd given my life to Christ and uh, I got filled with the Holy Spirit. And this night, particular night, I was standing there in the back. Service, altar time was over. I'd kind of moved back. And there wasn't a whole lot of people around me. I can remember it like, remember it, like it was yesterday. And I stand there, and there's this, this, this uh, African-American brother just getting down on the guitar. And I'm going, yeah. And God spoke to my heart, and he said, I will do this with you. I didn't play an instrument. I didn't have anything. Okay, so I go home. I tell mom and dad. I said, I feel called into music ministry. And uh, mom got me a piano. And all I did was play with the drum pads on it. Didn't work out. She got me a a guitar finally. And and, uh, I began to pursue my own thing. I began to pursue my own dreams and desires. God says, I will do that with you. Which was a worship setting with a man leading worship, playing an electric guitar, doing all this stuff. And, and in my mind, I saw the rock star. You know what I'm saying? So I get, I get my guitar, and I'm in front of the mirror. You know, you got the rock star stance. Growing my mullet out, you know, I'm thinking. It's, it's a true story, unfortunately, true story. So my desire was, is, is I want to be famous. Now, now get, get this. 
God gave me a promise, and then I twisted it. And I let the world infiltrate it. And I let the world dictate what that promise should look like. The world told me this is a better thing than a humble servant. This big exalted thing is way better. So I began to pursue a lifestyle of selfishness. And if I would let it continue, I would have created an Ishmael in my life that would have robbed me of the promise that I really wanted. You see, God told Abraham, he said, I want you to walk before me and be perfect. And, and, and that's where I had to get in my walk with Christ. You see, because what happened here is Abram had a covenant with God. A covenant. You say, what's a covenant? A marriage is a covenant. Think about this for a second. What would holiness be for a marriage? Well, you don't just get married and then forget about it. You know? That doesn't work. That's not a good, that's not going to bring the promises of God into your life. Can I get an amen? It's not going to, it's going to bring a lot of pain. According to what my wife has promised me, it's a lot of pain. It's what it would bring into my life. <laughs> so glad you're back, Larry. How much infidelity does it take to destroy marriage? It takes small amounts, it takes great amounts. Everybody's different. But a covenant with God without His people living with holiness is doing this. It's taking His name in vain. And you say, what does that mean? It doesn't mean somebody's saying, oh my God. Or if they say Jesus Christ out of context. Or if they say GD, whatever. And I had friends in high school that their, their parents would let them say and do whatever they wanted. But the kid would say, oh my God. Mother, like that. And the mother would go, you shut your mouth. You just used the Lord's name in vain. Forget the other 12 things he had just said earlier in the conversation. <laughs> Listen, that's, that's disregarding what the true nature of that is, to not use the Lord's name in vain. To take the Lord's name in vain is to take the name of Jesus Christ upon yourself and to live in an unholy way. Amen. It's to misrepresent God, to take upon yourself, I am a child and of the promises of God, and then misrepresent Him. See, that's what we do when we become a Christian or we are a church that say we serve God and obey God and we do not guard our lives in holiness. That's what Abraham had dealt with. And God said, Abraham, I'm not interested in pouring into you all these blessings and promises I gave you just empty-handedly. I don't want you to take my grace for granted. It's here for you, but I don't want you to abuse it. I want you to walk before me and be perfect. I want you to be holy as I am holy. I didn't figure I'd get a whole lot of amens in this service this morning. But again, like I said, it's the word of the Lord to us. Genesis chapter 17, verse 3. And Abram fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with thee, and thou shalt be a father of many nations. Neither shall thy name any more be called Abram, but thy name shall be Abraham. For a father of many nations have I made thee, and I will make thee exceeding fruitful, and I will make nations of thee, and kings shall come out of thee. And I will establish my covenant between me and thee and thy seed after thee in their generations for an everlasting covenant be a, to be a God unto thee and to thy seed ever after thee. And I will give unto thee and to thy seed after thee the land wherein thou art stranger at the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession and I will be their God. You see the result of this situation you see in, chapter, in, in verse 3 it says and Abram fell on his face. Anytime God confronts us with our sin in our life there's an expected reaction by him. <laughs> and I don't just mean coming up and falling on the ground on my face. Okay, Lord. I mean reverently in our heart driving us 
to a weeping position on the floor saying, God, I realize all of a sudden your holiness in my sinfulness. Forgive me. And that's where Abraham started. And it's really cool because we see he gives him a new name which signifies and symbolizes a refreshing of that new covenant, a new creation, everything that we understand with salvation through Christ. And then he reiterates and, and, and reassures him of this whole covenant thing that he made. But, but I want us to look at it a little closer in verse 6. To remind him, he said, basically through all this, keep in mind what he had done to create Ishmael. Look what God says. And I will. I will. He didn't say you will, Abraham. I will. In other words, stop it. Stop trying to do it your own way. I don't care if you're 99 years old. I don't care if everybody says it's impossible. I don't care that if you have a 13-year-old kid that's going to be rebellious and be a thorn in your side for your life and the lives of all those for generations to come. I don't care what's going to happen. But listen to me. I will. Not you. Is God faithful? He says, I will make thee exceeding fruitful, and I will make nations of thee, and kings shall come out of thee, and I will establish my covenant between me and thee, because you're not good enough, Abraham. I will establish that covenant. You realize that through Christ Jesus, his covenant was with God on our behalf because we weren't good enough to establish a covenant with God? He says, I will establish my covenant between me and thee, and thy seed after thee. And if you look at verse 8, and I will go unto thee. I will give unto thee into thy seed after thee the land wherein thou art a stranger, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. I will. I choose to. Not because of what you can do, Abraham, to bring it about in your own life. Not what you can do through your self-sufficiency of trying to produce for yourself, but I am the giver of all good things. All you have to do, Abraham, is follow me, obey me, walk holy, walk before me and be perfect, and I will. Is that not the message to our church in 2011? Get your mind off the things you want, church. Get your mind off the things that you think are wonderful and important. But the, the main thing to get our minds on is Christ. Exalt Him here in this place. Exalt Him in our lives. And all of a sudden, we become a new creation. And when we walk holy before Him, it doesn't mean we're going to not make mistakes. But what's your heart say to you? Do you want to make mistakes? If so, you need to be on your face. If you don't want to make mistakes, and bless God, sometimes you do, Be happy because you're being perfect, even though you don't know it. How are you made perfect? How are you made holy? By the blood of Christ. It's through His grace. It's not anything you can do. It's not anything I can do. That's why He said, I will establish a covenant because you and I can't do it. We're not perfect. I know you think I'm perfect, but I'm not perfect. (laughs) It's the only thing wrong with me. (laughs) Ha ha. the bald spot where am I going with all this stuff I don't we got to be holy church it's got to become important to us once again there was a time in the assemblies of God history where holiness was dictated by a set of laws okay that's not what I'm talking about I'm talking about individuals becoming so close with Christ, so close and so uh, aware of the Holy Spirit and the presence of God in their lives that He's going to direct every step, every word, every thought's going to be taken captive. Everything. 
to where they become a new creation. And, and all of a sudden, they aren't misrepresenting Christ in their workplace, in their school, in the community, at the soccer field, the baseball diamond, wherever. They're not out screaming and yelling and doing crazy, odd things. But people look at them and say, I'm going to use a term that the teenagers use, okay? They're legit. They're the real deal. They're for real. And all of a sudden, you have an audience. And all of a sudden, you have people saying, I want what they have. Holiness. Not to bring judgment on somebody to say, I'm better than you. You don't do that because if you talk like that, you're not. That's obnoxious. But to put yourself up here and everybody down here, that does nothing good for the kingdom of God. What did Jesus do? Did he stay up here? Did he come down here? Holiness with humility. So important. I've got to move on because I'm going to run out of time. It's about to get good, church. Genesis 17, verse 9, And God said unto Abraham, Thou shalt keep my covenant, therefore, thou and thy seed after thee in their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and thy seed after thee. Every man child among you shall be circumcised. And you shall circumcise the flesh of your foreskin, and it shall be a token of the covenant betwixt me and you. And he that is eight days old shall be circumcised among you. Every man child in your generations... He that is born in the house or bought with money of any stranger which is not of thy seed. He that is born in thy house and he that is bought with thy money must needs be circumcised. And my covenant shall be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. And the uncircumcised man, child, whose flesh is of his foreskin is not circumcised, that soul shall be cut off from his people. He hath broken my covenant. You see, every time God establishes a covenant, and the youth have heard this a thousand times, I don't even know that I've shared it with you guys yet, but when God establishes a covenant... He always gives a reminder. Always. When a person gets married, what do they do? You got that ring on there to remind you. Amen? That's just what we have. But that's, that's the natural thing. Let's think about some other things. Let's think about uh, the covenant that was established at the Passover. Let's say Passover. What did God say? He said, I, I, they, they slay the lamb, they put the blood on the door, and God said, I want you to celebrate the Passover every year so that you remember the covenant that I've established. Us bring, that I brought you, excuse me, out of Egypt. Think about the blood of Christ. Think about the covenant that was on the cross. Jesus Christ said, what do we have that we do? Do this in remembrance of me. Communion. We have that. We have all these other things. Um, we, have, we have the blood covenant of marriage. It's true. There's a blood covenant that was established between a virgin woman and a man when they, when they established their marital relationship and they consummated their marriage on their honeymoon. That's established there. But there's also a reminder, bless God, praise God for it. A lifetime of intimacy that should always point back to that day of that covenant that you established. There's reminders all through the scripture of covenants. This covenant right here, God said, I'm going to give you a reminder. I'm going to take the foreskin off you. I want you to do it. And I want you to do it to everybody in your household. Let me tell you, nobody ever forgot that day. <laughs> nobody. Abraham's 99 years old. So you want me to do what? <laughs> what you talking about? You know, and he had, took a sharp stone and did it. And then he not only did that, he had to go through the whole house. And Ishmael's 13. Tell me that wouldn't mess you up for the rest of your life. <laughs> hey, Ishmael, come here. I want to talk to you. Wham! I mean, it's done. 
It's not a good thing. It's a horrible thing. And, and, the, and the world looks in at that. Can you imagine all the other cultures around them, all the pagan cultures? God says basically, Abraham, I'm going to do something for you that nobody else is going to do. Nope, nobody else is going to do that. If anybody knows anything about men, men don't like to go to the doctor and have to deal with any of that stuff. So God says, I'm going to tell you what, I'm going to do something that you won't like. You're going to do it. And if you don't do it, you're cut off from the people. But with these reminders, God said, listen to this closely, and I'm, I'm going to move on quickly, but we've got to grasp this today. The covenant of circumcision, he says, either you do this reminder of this covenant or you're cut off from the people. You don't get to take part in all the blessings of the family and, and, and not commit to me, not to have holiness. It's just like a marital covenant. You don't enter in, in well, let's go back to communion, the cross. It says, you know, don't take this, uh, if you take this in an unworthy manner, the communion, take this in an unworthy manner, you're guilty of the body and blood of Jesus Christ. What that saying is, is basically, I'm taking this communion as a ritual, I don't really care, I'm doing it for my own pleasure and for my own enjoyment, I don't have a covenant with Christ to remember and enjoy, I'm just doing a ritual thing. Put that in the context of marriage, in that covenant. The, remi- the reminder of the covenant to, to have premarital or, or, or adultery outside of your marriage is to take and try to celebrate something that you are not a part of. And you're guilty of sin. God is not interested in us doing our own desires and our own selfish wants and our own things. He said, Abraham, you're going to follow me and you're going to obey me and I'm even going to give you some hard things to follow. People are going to look at you. They're going to laugh at you. They're going to think you're crazy. But I'm going to tell you what, there's going to be a reminder every day for the rest of your life, every multiple times a day. When you go to the restroom, you're going to say, I ain't like everybody else. True? God does not want you to go into your workplace. You know that when you go into the workplace every day, you may be in the world, but you're not of the world. He doesn't doesn't want you to sit there and think, I'm like everybody else, because you are not like everybody else. You've been sealed with the Holy Spirit. Do not grieve Him, my friends. Do not intentionally grieve the Holy Spirit. He is a seal. Circumcision was a seal, a sign, a promise, sealing and and finishing out the promise of a covenant that God had established. He said, this is my seal. It's a sign to you. We have received the Holy Spirit, a seal that finishes out and confirms all the covenant that we have with Christ. The thing is that he circumcised Abraham's flesh and he said, now you walk before me and be perfect. I'm sorry, circumcision does not make a person perfect, but the Spirit of God placed within us not only is the seal of the promise, but it's through him that we have the power to overcome sin and to walk holy before God and to be cleansed and to be drawn near to Him and the power to go out and to share His Word and to do it with faithfulness, with integrity and to love God and people coming to the kingdom of God. We have a better thing than circumcision. Paul referred to it as the circumcision of our hearts. I have a bunch of scripture here to share with you but I think we've got the picture. I do want to read Exodus 33. You don't have to turn there. It'll be on the screen for time's sake. But 33, 14. And he said, My presence shall go with thee, and I will give thee rest. This is God speaking to Moses. And Moses said unto him, If thy presence go not with me, carry us not up hence. For wherein shall it be known here that I and thy people have found grace in thy sight? Is it not in that thou goest with us? So shall we be separated, I and thy people, from all the people that are upon the face of the earth. Now, in King James, it's kind of confusing, but basically what he's saying right there is he's saying, Lord, I don't want to go here without your presence. 
Because your presence is the one defining thing that separates me from all these other pagan nations. It's your presence. It's your presence. You want to know what separates First Assembly of God Church from the Lions Club? Presence of God. You want to know what separates us this morning than the basketball game on Friday night? The presence of God. You know what separates you from your co-worker that doesn't know Jesus Christ? The presence of God. You are a carrier of the presence of God. And it should be our desire to not move. Moses had the right mindset, the right idea. He may have big promises. He may have desires. He may have a nation that he's going to, a land that he was going to. But he said, listen, if you're not going to go with me, I'm not moving from this place. Because it's you that separates us. And I'll say it again for us all here, First Assembly of God, Covington, Indiana, 2011. If we do nothing different for the next 12 months, if God doesn't move us to do it, then we are not moving from this place. Oh, somebody had hurt feelings. Oh, but Pastor Bob, I have an agenda. I have things I would like to see. I have things that I would like to do. Listen to me. If God speaks to your heart and your desire is to reach the lost, because you don't know this. I don't know if you know this, but you elected a pastor that wants to see lost souls saved. Whether you like it or not, some of you are all of a sudden, oh, great. Great know what that means somebody's going to sit in my seat it's happened before you'll survive all I can tell you to do is get here earlier um, my vision and my plan and my goal and I know is the goal and heart of this church we've been through it a thousand times and I, I know the excitement when you see somebody come to Christ I know when you see our youth ministry growing and souls saved and kids coming in and out with skateboards and purple hair and funny looking kids and kids that aren't funny looking funny acting some of them act funny but you get excited and I know that and I want that I don't just want it over there I want families to come in here and get saved I want to see adults get saved that maybe have lived uh, their own life for all these years of self-sufficiency God does not want us to be self-sufficient in this church in 2011 what he wants for us is to be Christ sufficient we want to rest in him we want to be dependent upon him so that I will instead of me will that didn't make sense I will he will instead of me will I don't know it's just kind of off the cuff so it doesn't count Unlike circumcision, the Holy Spirit enables us to live holy. If, if Lynn had come up and play some music, ladies, I'm just going to close this out and skip a few things, but because I think we're getting the point. I'm going to take you back to something I said earlier. Uh, when, I was, when I was at teen camp, I was 13 years old, and I stood there in that big metal building and, and the bugs flying around the lights and the, the windows propped open and just a real vivid memory of, of an aisle up the, the middle, one aisle across the middle, and two sections up here, and two sections over here. And I was in the back section, kind of in about the middle right-hand side. And I, and I stood there, and God spoke to my heart, and He said, I will do that with you. I will do that with you. And I've got to tell you, church, there were many times over that period that I saw that as a very impossible thing. And I thought, God will never use me. I'm not good enough. I'm not capable. And then I started developing some skills and talents and I thought, I'm great. I can do anything I want to. 
and, and I thought, you know, I could get with a band, we could travel, and then I put my Christian twist on it, maybe I can get with a Christian band, maybe I, and all this stuff. I, I had my hand in it, you know what I'm saying? And then I finally surrendered my life to Christ. I mean really surrendered to Him. I mean to the point to where I threw off everything else and I said, Lord, I'm messing everything up. You take it and fix it because I can't do it. And you know what he said? He said, I will. I will. And it was years that went by and, and uh, I started getting that call in my life again. About 2001, that, that call of ministry in my life again. And you all were here. You've seen what happened. You've witnessed it. Uh, most of you here in, before your eyes, what happened with me, my wife. But it was about 2004 or five. I don't know, 2005. Uh, I get our kids go to bond camp every summer and, and our worship team leads there. It's kind of a little camp and they really shine there and it's just a great place for them to minister. Uh, we came home from that one summer. It was July and uh, Carl, Carl Flagg called Carla on the phone. He's our, um, our Christian education director. We all know Carl, but he, he, uh, he said, talking to Carla, asking her what week she's coming, getting some things scheduled. He said, you know, he said, you don't know anybody with a worship team that would be willing to camp, come to camp next week, do you? He said, because the, the worship team that was coming totally canceled on me, just out of the blue. Carla said, well, Pastor Bob and the kids just got back from a camp. She said, they would probably do it. I'm going. You say, why would you do that? Well, because I still had that within me. If I'm not, I can't do that. Our camp, our standards for worship are high. Okay? They always bring in the big churches that have got a lot of selection, a lot of time, people really to focus on worship. And, you know, we're just a little covey. We, we had our, our little junky keyboard and a few guitars and drums and drum, the drum set that falls, falls apart and moves. And, and I'm sitting here in my mind as she's saying this, I'm going, it's not going to be good. Because my mind went to, Pastor Bob, you're going to mess it all up. You're going to go to that camp and there's going to be 350 little kids, 8 to 12 years old, that's going to look at you and go, why did we come here again? That was my fear. So my answer to Carl was, I said, Carl, I'll tell you what. I don't know what's going to happen. Um, my kids may have work or they may, may not be available. I'll have to call them and see. I call them and they're all like, yes! Our camp? Assembly of God camp? Not a Church of Christ camp? An AG camp where the Spirit of God moves? I'm going, yes, yes. They're going, yes! Call him back and tell him we're going. And I'm going, okay, I'll call him back. So I call him back and we got it. We went there. We got set up that day. It was about an hour before our service. And I was, we, we finished practice and went through some things. And kids didn't even know I was scared to death. They were really cool about it. I was like, oh, we're all going to die. It's going to be horrible. And, and they, they are praying. And I'm praying. I said, listen, guys. I said, you know, it's, it's almost supper time. I said, if you want to go eat something, go eat. I said, I'm going to stay here and pray a little bit. I just, I just need to pray. They said, we'll fast with you. Let's stay and pray. I said, all right. So we had the music on, and, and I was just walking around that sanctuary like this, crying out to God for help because it was going to be awful. And I had my head down like this, and I'm just saying, Lord, please help us, please help us, please help us, please help us, Lord, please help us. Dear God, please help us. Lord, come and get your people. Come and take us home, Lord, in the next hour. Just come and take us home. And <laughs> it's a true story. So I stopped. And I had my head down and the Spirit of God said, stop. And I just stopped and I stood and prayed and he said, look up. And I looked up and I got to tell you this, man. I know we were in the new sanctuary, but it's built on the foundation or over the foundation of the old tabernacle at camp. 
And when I stopped, I looked up and I was facing north toward the front of that old tabernacle where it used to set on those grounds. And I was standing, church, I'm telling you, as close as I could have been standing to where I was at 13 years old when God spoke to my heart. I stopped and I looked up and I said, I looked up and God said, today I fulfill the promise I made to you at 13 years old. And he said this afterwards. God's so cool. He says, I got it. I stood there for a second and the kids probably looked at me as I just kind of stood there and it all hit me. I said, all right, circle up. Let's pray. We're done. They're like, what? I said, we're done. We prayed. We led worship. And I got to tell you, church, we... Our worship team right now is a whole lot better than we were then, okay? But, but I've got to tell you this. I, I stood there and led worship with 350 little kids. And multiple kids were filled with the Holy Spirit during a worship service with nobody touching them. I stood there and, and led worship for hours, two-hour time slots at after the altar, I mean, after the service, and, and you've got eight to 12-year-old kids laying on the ground who can't have any sin in their life, weeping. Weeping before God, laying there on the floor for two hours. These kids are only supposed to have attention spans of 20 minutes. I looked out and saw this. And then some self-righteous parent after the first night comes to somebody and says, you know what the problem is with this worship team? They don't do kids' songs. Well, that's not true. We did some kids' songs at the front end. But Pastor Carl Flagg said, I want the presence of God. We had fun during praise. When it was worship time, we got busy. And this lady didn't like it. And she told some people, and she told Pastor Carl, and he said, you know what? They're doing exactly what I told them to do. And this got back to me, and I don't know why people would discourage you with that. I had to get over that. I'm like, you know, who cares what this lady thinks? I said all that to say this. The last night there, we were at the altars. They were at the altars. We were leading worship. We were there for probably two and a half hours. It was getting late, almost three hours. And we're standing there just playing. My fingers are killing me. There's two kids left. One here and one little girl standing here with tears streaming down her face. Looking up to heaven and just praying in the Spirit. In the spirit. I was singing and as I sang I looked over and I just watched this little girl sing pray in the spirit there was a woman standing behind her man come up from the sound booth he said Pastor Bob he said you guys can quit I'll put in a CD I said absolutely not I will do no such thing we played and this little girl was standing there and on the way out when we were done that woman caught me at the door it was the woman that had mouthed off about me the first of the week that was her daughter Church, my message to you this morning is very simple. If you will allow holiness to come into your life, if you will exalt Christ and humble yourself, rather than trying to do things your own way and allow Him to do it, He looks at Covington First Assembly in 2011 and He says, Hey, 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 I got it. I got it. I can't describe the emotion The change in my life from being a mouthy kid looking for self-glorification 
to being a young man, an old man, whatever, standing on a stage of a bunch of little kids and hearing them sing, a cappella, here I am to worship. You want to know the greatest thing in my life? It is greater for me to speak into one individual and to see God do a work in their life and their lives be changed than it is to play the guitar in front of millions. And I thank God that he didn't allow me to go down a path of self-sufficiency and self-glorification, that he brought me to a place of humility and holiness. And that's my challenge to this church today. Do not self-exalt yourselves. Do not self-exalt this building. Exalt Christ and he will do the work. Amen. We're just going to spend some time at the altars, but before we do, would you stand with me this morning?